Hi there, it's Matt here and welcome back to the podcast. And today we're going to be talking about the sleep disorder known as restless leg syndrome or RLS for short. It also has a different clinical name just to be aware. It's also called Willis-Eckbaum disease. But from here on out, we're going to be calling it by its modern and typical name of restless leg syndrome. So what exactly is restless leg syndrome? Well, it's considered a neurological condition that causes a desperate and utterly compelling and very uncomfortable, in fact, almost uncontrollable urge to move the muscles in your legs and also in your arms and massage them. And this happens principally at night when you're trying to sleep. And that's why we consider it a sleep disorder. Some of you may never have heard of this condition of restless leg syndrome, but it's actually rather common. It affects around 5% of the general population. Now, <laughs> I know that you're listening to this and you're thinking, hang on a second, 5%? 5% as a medical condition is non-trivial. To put that in global context, it's around 400 million individuals that are currently suffering with restless leg syndrome. So not a small number by any means. But now let me transition into a little more detail regarding the symptoms. And I want to do this just in case it either resonates with you or someone that you know in terms of what they're suffering from or what you're suffering from, and you didn't realize that it is a condition and that it has a name. So most commonly, restless leg syndrome manifests in, <laughs> you guessed it, the legs, hence the name restless leg syndrome. But don't be fooled by that because it can affect people's arms, so both the biceps and also the triceps. And when a patient comes to a clinician and describes the experience, what you'll commonly hear is the following expressions of what occurs during the night. First, they will tell you there's a sort of a creeping and a crawling sensation in my muscles that won't stop unless I move. Or there's an aching and a tugging sensation in my muscles that won't let me sleep and I have to move around. Or alternatively, some people will describe it almost like an itching or a tingling or a burning sensation in their muscles. And they just cannot get rid of it unless they get out of bed and start walking around. And as people are lying there in bed, this feeling of a aching and a creeping and a crawling or a, a tingling in their legs starts to build. And at first, the patient will try to ignore it and try to get back to sleep. But the more that they ignore it, the more that sensation increases. And at some point, it becomes so overwhelming, so intense that they either have to give in and start moving their arms or massaging them, or worse still, they just have to get out of bed and start moving around. That's the only way that they seem to get relief. And the terrible part of this is that once you massage and move around and then get back into bed, no sooner has it gone away than tick-tock, tick-tock, it comes right back again with a vengeance. 
I said that this happens during sleep, and it does, principally, but it can happen when you're relaxed, sitting still, but awake. However, what we do know is that it rarely happens when you're active and awake, and it rarely happens in the morning hours or the early afternoon hours. Instead, it seems to have a circadian profile to it, and it starts to come on in the evening, and then it peaks in its intensity at night when you're trying to sleep. And because of that disruption to your sleep at night, it decimates both the total amount of sleep that you're getting, you wake up many more times throughout the night, so you suffer poor quality of sleep in terms of sleep fragmentation, and you also can't get sufficient deep non-REM sleep. And for this reason, it should come as no surprise to learn that restless leg syndrome can have a number of serious knock-on consequences, increased risk for cardiovascular disease, for metabolic disease, and also mental health issues. As for who it affects, well, it can happen to anyone at any age. But in terms of age, we know that it typically becomes more severe and more common in middle-aged individuals and also older adults. Also, women are twice as likely to suffer from restless leg syndrome as are men, and we don't currently know why. We also know, by the way, that it seems to run in families, and I'll come back to this in just a second. So that's the symptomatology of restless leg syndrome, but how does a doctor perform the diagnosis? Well, there is no blood test and there is no brain scan that we have currently that can tell us that a patient has restless leg syndrome. Instead, we make the diagnosis by a specialist sleep doctor who will interview you about your history and about your symptoms. And after diagnosis, then comes treatment. And it is a situation of treatment because sadly, right now, we don't have any cure for restless leg syndrome. However, there are treatments that can help. And I'll go into those in a short while. A sponsor of today's show is Inside Tracker. Inside Tracker is a service and they come to your home, as they do for me, and they will analyze your blood and your DNA to know precisely what is happening inside of you regarding a host of different blood and metabolic and hormonal health metrics. What I also like is that in addition to the results, they then provide you with a personalized set of recommended, I guess, sort of lifestyle changes and suggestions to better optimize your health as a consequence of what those results were for you, that unique snowflake. So you can use the link insidetracker.com forward slash Matt Walker, and you will get a healthy discount from your purchase. So again, that is insidetracker.com forward slash Matt Walker. But before I tell you about the treatments, and this is something that we do on this podcast where we go deep and we dive deep, I want to first help you understand the mechanisms underlying the condition. 
Because when you understand biology, you understand so much more about the condition rather than simply the diagnosis. I think by doing that, you can also understand why the treatments that may be prescribed are effective. So that's why I don't want to sort of quickly swipe right and skip over mechanism and just go from symptoms to treatment, if that's okay. So in terms of the underlying mechanism, as I described earlier, it does seem to run in families. Genetics seem to play a role. Indeed, we've discovered that almost half of the people with restless leg syndrome will have at least one or more family members with the same neurological condition. But it's not all about genetics because we've identified another risk factor that seems to be strongly linked to restless leg syndrome, and that is iron deficiency. Our story here in terms of iron deficiency goes back all the way to 1953, when a brilliant Swedish clinician by the name of Dr. Nils Lordlander made a remarkable discovery and a set of treatment insights. What he found is that almost all of the restless leg syndrome patients that he was seeing had anemic iron deficiency. And then if he treated the iron deficiency, the symptoms of restless leg syndrome markedly improved. And in fact, for some individuals, they went away entirely as long as they remained iron normative in terms of their blood levels. And that all seemed incredibly hopeful at first. But now, almost 70 years later, and through systematic research, we've discovered that, in fact, only about 15% of people with restless leg syndrome have a peripheral iron deficiency, meaning that when you measure their blood, only about 15% of them seem to be deficient in their normative amounts of iron. And by the way, we're going to be talking about iron. The focus right now is also on ferritin, which is a related component here. And in terms of what is deficient, well, it's different on the basis of different countries. But in general, a rule of thumb is that a serum ferritin level that is below 50 micrograms per liter or thereabouts is deemed deficient. However, that wasn't the end of the iron story. The field did not give up on the iron deficiency theory because some clever researchers wondered, whether it was less about circulating levels of iron, and specifically ferritin, within the body, but rather a lack of iron within the brain itself, not the body. Even though, for example, circulating body levels of serum ferritin could look perfectly normal. And as it turns out, almost all of the studies to date support this modified version of the theory finding that, in fact, most patients with restless leg syndrome will have an iron deficiency of the brain. By the way, you may be wondering, how on earth can you measure iron deficiencies within the brain? It's easy, of course, to measure them in the circulating body because you just draw blood. How do you go about doing that within the brain of living patients? Well, it turns out that we've developed two different methods. 
The first is that we use something called a spinal cord lumbar puncture. And when we do that, we siphon off a small amount of what's called cerebrospinal fluid, or CSF. And that's the fluid that is bathing the brain. And in that way, it's almost like taking blood from the body. It gives us a biomarker of what's going on within the brain. And when you look at the CSF of these patients with restless leg syndrome, they consistently have low levels of iron. The second method that we use is, in fact, a non-invasive method, taking advantage of special MRI scans that can pick up sensitivity to the amount of iron within your brain. And when we do that, once again, we find an iron deficiency, but not all over the brain in a homogeneous manner. Instead, we seem to find this iron deficiency in the MRI scans, specifically in a movement-related region of the brain called the substantia nigra. So all of this continues to support one of the current theories of restless leg syndrome, which is that of an iron, specifically ferritin, deficiency. And as it turns out, the genetics part of the story that I described first in terms of mechanism links to this second component of an iron deficiency. Because when we've looked at the specific genes that are associated with restless leg syndrome, several of those genes are associated with the genetic control of iron homeostasis, which in plain speak simply means genes that help regulate the balance of iron. And we'll come back to the story of iron when we speak about treatments. But keep in mind that if you suspect that you have restless leg syndrome and you go and see the doctor, no doubt one of the things that they'll be looking for is the levels of iron and ferritin within your blood. The last thing I want to mention on mechanism are not the factors that we think are the underlying triggers or the cause, but things that also make it worse. And these are really perhaps three different components, medications, chronic diseases, and lifestyle factors. First, what we know is that there are certain medications such as antipsychotic medications, anti-nausea medications, and certain antidepressants, as well as some anti-allergy medications that will all increase the severity of the symptoms of restless leg syndrome. Now, when I say that, please do not think for one second that that means I'm suggesting discontinuing those medications. Always speak with a doctor. Know that I am just a scientist. I am not providing medical advice here. I know that goes without saying, and I know you know this, but it is important to say. So that's medications. The second thing is chronic diseases. Several of these will make matters worse in terms of restless leg syndrome. And currently, those include Parkinson's disease, anemic iron deficiency, no big surprise there, diabetes, kidney disease, and also the snoring condition of sleep apnea. Finally, by the way, you should know that there are some lifestyle factors that will really be nasty triggers of restless leg syndrome. These include not getting enough sleep or having poor quality of sleep, 
and also caffeine. Caffeine intake seems to be strongly linked to increasing the severity of restless leg syndrome, as does, by the way, tobacco use and alcohol use. All of which finally brings us on to treatment options for restless leg syndrome. Essentially, right now, there are four different buckets of treatment options that are given. There are several others, but these are the main four categories or the ways in which we approach it. The first are medications targeting restless leg syndrome. The second are lifestyle changes. The third are dietary changes. And the fourth are iron infusions, which we've already spoken about. This podcast is supported by Athletic Greens. Athletic Greens is a comprehensive nutritional drink, and it contains countless different health components. Let me stop there. I say countless. I actually know the company pretty well, and I know how the product is made. And I believe at last count, it's over 75 different vitamins and minerals and probiotics, prebiotics, and other whole food source nutrients. And you consume it every day. And I do drink Athletic Greens. And for the record, I buy my own supply because of all of the obvious sort of integrity trappings that come with free product. And I just don't want to get into that. So as I said, I know the company really quite well, including their stellar CEO. And I trust the creation and their manufacturing procedures. They've got all of the correct stamps, things like TGA and GMP stamps. Basically, they're rigorous. So anyway, if you are mindful of your health, then you may want to check them out at the link, which is athleticgreens.com forward slash Matt Walker. And if you use that link, you'll get some money off your first order and also some free travel packs. So that's athleticgreens.com forward slash Matt Walker. Let me speak about medications, and I'll stay here for a little while and spend most of our remaining time on the medications. So for those medications, there are also four different subcategory approaches. The first are a set of drugs that are called calcium channel modulating drugs. And these calcium channel altering drugs will regulate the way in which neurons work. And the two most relevant calcium channel modulating drugs for restless leg syndrome are called pregabalin and gabapentin. Some people may have heard of gabapentin before, but outside of the context of restless leg syndrome, because gabapentin is also often prescribed for pain. So that's the first subcategory, calcium channel modulating drugs. The second, and now I'm now realizing I'm taking this out of order. I told you this was the fourth on the list. But <laughs> Matthew, is it really that hard to actually keep track of your numbers? Anyway, I'm going to go for it. The second subcategory comes on to iron or ferritin. So here, your doctor will seek ways to increase the iron in your circulating blood. And those approaches can either be through supplementation, and I'll speak about that in a little while, and also iron replacement. For supplementation, it's tricky because most iron supplementation comes in the form of pills or liquids, and typically it's pretty harsh on your stomach. 
it gives people a lot of GI issues. And usually this is the principal reason why people will stop because they just can't tolerate it. As a result, some doctors may therefore opt for a different approach, which is iron replacement. And they do that by way of an IV infusion. And that will typically happen at a hospital. The third category of medications involves drugs that increase the amount of dopamine in the brain. This is designed to alter the movement or the muscle regulating pathways within the brain. And in fact, I mentioned one of those earlier where we see iron deficiencies. And that is in an area called the substantia nigra. And that contains a lot of dopamine neurons. And dopamine treatments seem to have an effect. They're usually given at low doses, not high doses. And perhaps one of the most common of these dopamine agents that is given for restless leg syndrome, it's not the only one, but perhaps the most common is something called pramipexol. And that's spelled P-R-A-M-I-P-E-X-O-L-E. And finally, the fourth drug class that is provided are actually opioids. Now, at this point, you may be thinking, oh my goodness, um, opioids, really? Firstly, they're given at very low doses, safe low doses, and the patient is tracked meticulously to observe any changes in terms of addiction or abuse potential. But opioids are something that are being given for restless leg syndrome. And in fact, there's been some fascinating new data from I think arguably one of the leading voices in this field, a clinician called John Winkleman at Harvard has been making some remarkable progress in this area. But again, this is not me giving medical advice. It's simply me describing the science behind it. It is descriptive information. It is not medically prescriptive information. And I'll cover those, the last two topics going back to the higher level, which I mentioned in terms of approaches to helping restless leg syndrome, and they are lifestyle changes and dietary changes. And I'll move through these pretty quickly. For lifestyle changes, the recommendations are the following. Try to reduce or even stop the intake of tobacco, of alcohol, and caffeine. As I said, caffeine really has been quite strongly associated with the worsening of restless leg syndrome, as too have tobacco and alcohol. The second lifestyle suggestion is maintain a regular sleep schedule. Go to bed at the same time, wake up at the same time. The third suggestion is do some form of physical exercise every single day. The fourth is take a warm bath or a shower before bed to try to relax the body down. The fifth is stretching and massaging the legs in the evening before you get into bed. And the final thing is some form of meditation or yoga practice before bed. And then last are the dietary changes. Although there's no specific diet out there for individuals with restless leg syndrome, there are some foods that are suggested because they are rich in iron content. And these include certain peas as well as beans. And if you're not uh, vegetarian, poultry as well as seafood. And also there is some suggestion of possibly an intake of red meat, although... 
I know, and I'm not going to get into this, I don't have a horse in the race. There is a very active debate around red meat and health, but I'll set that aside for the other folks in the field to discuss. And then don't forget, by the way, dark leafy green vegetables like spinach. So there it is. I hope that's been an informative episode about the far from uncommon sleep disorder called restless leg syndrome. And if you have it or you know someone who does, please, please go and find a doctor, preferably a really good sleep doctor, and get help, get diagnosis, and get treatment. It is a profoundly disrupting disorder to your sleep. And with that, uh, I wish you a very calm and restful rather than restless limbed night of sleep. I will see you in the next episode. Take care and goodbye for now. <laughs>